Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 715 with Joe Fontana. Oh, it's, it's terrible, literally. I mean, really, and it, it crushes your culture. Gossip will kill kill you, literally. So we had um, an all-hands-on-staff meeting, and we had to tell everybody, like, listen, we will not accept call- gossip anymore. When you come to work, you should feel safe. You should feel safe from violence, from harassment, and gossip. Gossip was almost taking over our, our location, our second location. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a really great conversation for you today. I'm super excited for it. But before I give you a teaser of what to expect, we have some uh, things we got to take care of, like things we got to let you know about. So you might have heard that Toast is sponsoring the show. Toast is the first ever CPA sponsor we've had, which means cost per acquisition, meaning we don't get paid unless you use our links to use toast. And I really want to emphasize this because if you use our link between all the incentives that toast is giving you, that's approximately 800 to a thousand dollars. And we're going to match it and send you a check for a thousand dollars because we know you need it right now. And because we really want to make sure that people, I know people out there are, are learning about toast and keeping toast top of mind from listening to the podcast. We really want to give you all the incentive you need to use that link. Plus you need it more than we do. We want to support you. We want to split the profit with you. So please use our link. Uh, we also want to let you know that uh, we have grown the private restaurant unstoppable Facebook group, Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators, to over 500 people. And we're being super restrictive on who we let into that, too. So that's a, that's a statement. So if you've noticed that a lot of other groups are super noisy and just people squawking and bitching and and it's just get me the hell away from this shit. If, if that's crossed your mind, I encourage you to come join our community. It's very selective and we're only letting serious restaurant tours into it. So if that's you, Unstoppable restaurant owners and operators on Facebook. Look us up. 
uh, request to join. And uh, also, this is something I'm really excited about. We're bringing back the masterminds. I shouldn't say bringing back, but they, they never really went away. I took a little bit of a break, but uh, the current mastermind group I'm hosting because of COVID-19, I ended up refunding everybody uh, just because I felt like we couldn't. They, they signed up to, to hit a goal, a six-month goal. And when COVID-19 struck, all goals were off the table. And I totally understood that. So I refunded those uh, four masterminders. We're still meeting, but it's just kind of like more of a support group. We'll be here if you need somebody to talk to. And uh, that was going to be a six month mastermind. And that six months, believe it or not, it's crazy to think is going to be up June. So I'm going to pop off another mastermind, but I'm now going to be hosting four mastermind groups, four groups of four. And we got something really special going on. And I can't say too much now, but I'll give you a teaser. Those four groups are going to be the beginning, the foundation of something much greater, a greater mastermind. Think of it of that for now. Uh, I'm super excited about it. And we want 16 people to, to be in those four groups. So four groups of four, 16 people. If you were in the Facebook group, you would already know that we're recruiting people for these masterminds. Um, there's already 13 people that are very, very interested. And I haven't been promoting this big. I have a feeling that once this episode goes live, we're going to get a lot of people. So if you are interested, I strongly encourage you to not hesitate. Be a part of one of these masterminds. Joe, today's guest was one of my first masterminders. He joined a mastermind before he even opened. I'm not going to take credit for Joe's success. Absolutely not. He would have gone there regardless of me, but it gives you a picture of the kind of person we're looking for to join this mastermind. And you're going to fall in love with Joe after this episode. I tell you that right now, but Email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Put mastermind in the title of the email if you're interested in joining and tell me a little bit about yourself. Nothing too crazy, just how many restaurants you have, where you're located, and what you're hoping to gain from the group. Now, today we have Joe Fontana, like I mentioned, past guest on the show and past masterminder joining us. I love Joe, uh, and you'll find out after listening to today's show. Uh, we talk about using language and rituals to deepen the grooves of your culture. He talks about how he benefited from a slow under the radar openings, the power of having a publicist, what this did for Joe's company, uh, how his real estate slash broker slash developer. I'm not quite sure the title. Um, he has got a partner uh, having somebody in the real estate world, how that can help you scale aggressively, uh, marketing, how marketing creates trials in operations, creates sales, why you should think of scaling as an opportunity for your current team members, how he was able to recruit a young team in a very challenging market. Joe gets into what you should do if you have somebody who might not have the right skills for a job, but has the right attitude and has other skills that could be leveraged, how to incorporate them into your business, why gossip is toxic for your business and what to do to squash gossip in your restaurant. And then lastly, removing yourself from the equation that is your business. So how to remove yourself from the day to day so you can focus on working on your business. But we also get into why you don't necessarily want to never be at your restaurant. You just want to remove the the restaurant's need for you. Really great episode. Here it is. Joe Fontana. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest back on the show for a second time. And I couldn't be more proud of this dude, Joe Fontana. My man, Joe, are you feeling unstoppable today? 
Always, Eric. Unstoppable. Yes. So a product of Chicago, Illinois, Joe Fontana gave up his cush office lifestyle to pursue his passion for hospitality and food. At the time, the specific passion was meatballs. So he started where he could selling meatballs at farmers markets, which led to a Kickstarter campaign to support his brick and mortar. The meatball thing did not work out, but it created opportunities specifically an opportunity for Fry the Coop. When you were on the show the first time, almost two and a half years ago, uh, that was episode 425. You were two months into your project uh, when you first came on the show. That was two and a half years ago. You're at four locations now with two opening. Uh, so we have a lot to cover, dude. We're going to be basically picking up the conversation. So I highly encourage you right now, head over to restaurantunstoppablecom slash 425. And if you have not listened to that conversation, get caught up in that conversation. We talk a lot about what the, the path you took, Joe, is what I would tell anybody to do. If you have an idea, just start where you can. You don't have to aim for the brick and mortar out of the gate. Start where you can. Proof of concept, pop-ups, farmer's markets, get feedback, uh, evolve pivot. Uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, Kickstarters, uh, the reality of camp, these Kickstarter campaigns, how you didn't get, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it helped you get your, your mission out into the universe, which brought you opportunity. And it's, it's a really great interview. So I, again, restaurantstoppablecom slash four twenty five uh, to get caught up. And now, um, let's, let's pick it up where we left off. So, Two and a half years ago, you're at two and a half locations. Paint that picture of what it was like reflecting back at that time. Well, at that time, I was very confident oh, wait. that we were... Uh, Success quarter mantra. <laughs> Joe, you, you know the show. You should have called me out. Off, <laughs> Go for it. Get, get it. get it started. You know, and I'm going to stick with the same mantra, which is small daily improvements eventually lead to huge advancement. Yes, dude. I love it. That's a great. I know you know that one. Yeah. And you you kind of talked about why that resonated with you before in the first episode. But just again, real quick, why does that resonate with you? Yeah. And I think it's just you got to keep the ball rolling every single day. You know, do not stop improving your business, yourself, your family, your life. I mean, you just kind of keep the ball rolling. We all have the same amount of time to work with. You only have, you know, day by day. So it's kind of like, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. But I think um, when you're constantly improving, you're moving forward. You're you're having progress. You're growing. You have something to hope for. You know, and I, and I think that's so important in life in general. Yes, man. Great way to get this thing started. And uh, so I, I remember like when when you just started, one of your biggest challenges, and this came from the first interview, um, was you had the, you're, you're a huge culture dude. And I remember like you had this vision for your culture and this and this vibe that you wanted to create. And one of your biggest challenges was was maintaining that vision that you had for culture. Um, while bringing all these new personalities on and still trying to really find your own personality, your own identity in your new restaurant. So how did that go? Take us at that to that point. So it's hard when I guess I should say it's easier when you're in the building, you know, every single day. And when we had one location, I was there seven days a week, you know, lunch and dinner, you know, you're there all day long. So I now reflecting back, I think it's easy to mold the culture the way you want it when you're there, you know, and if something's getting out of line, you know, you can pull people aside, talk to them. You can have group meetings. 
you can kind of influence everybody. They get to know you and your personality and your ideology. And, you know, so I think like, I didn't realize how much of a blessing that is to be in, you know, your one location and being inside one building with everybody. Now we have a hundred people, four locations, and we're all in different, different buildings. Um, you know, we're not in the same building every day. So that's been a really big challenge is to mimic the culture, you know, at, at different locations. And I've learned that each location has different, a different culture. So even though it's the same, uh, you know, company, the same logo, the same recipes, the same procedures, the same training. I mean, each restaurant for sure has a similar culture. And I think, um, you know, understanding that part and working in those parameters um, has really helped me, you know, kind of mold that culture from a distance. But I'm still learning. That's yeah. something that... Um, I feel like- I think we can we'll probably come back to that as the story kind of unfolds, as we get caught up to, you know, getting into that fourth location, but going back to that first location, um, you said that there was, you know, a bunch of different personalities and trying to get those personalities to align to the, the culture you wanted. Did you ever do, did you ever achieve that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So what, one of the things that we go ahead, uh, well, I think, so we encouraged a lot of our staff at the time to invite their friends to work there. So we kept pushing that, you know, Hey, who are your friends? Get your buddies involved, you know? So, and that kind of bit us in the, in the ass later on, but uh, there was moments where there was a huge group of friends all working. They were having a ton of fun. They were, kicking, you know, and, you know, and that, like that to me was such a great, I always think it's, it's so important to have fun at work. I think that's the foundation for our culture is like, if you're working your butt off, you're hustling, you're laughing, you're joking around with everybody, you're having fun. I just think it, it makes for such a great work day. And so that was really important to me. And though, though there was a plenty of moments where people were just laughing and having fun and excited to come to work. Um, so we definitely achieved uh, a so, great culture, but it's always evolving, you know? Yeah. So what and, changed, and, what changed when uh, you said you, cause again, when we were talking the last time, you said one of your biggest challenges was getting the culture aligned. So you, you had the people that you liked invite their friends. So birds of the feather flock together. Maybe that had something to do with it, but what things did you do to get the culture to where specifically, what was the change you made to get the culture in that single first location to where you wanted it to be? I think um, drilling in the minds of everybody. Well, first we had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of us trying things out that worked or didn't work and us pivoting and, you know, doing, you know, us understanding ourselves. So that was a lot of like, yes. you know, figuring out who we are, what we stand for, what we believe in um, and really kind of like flushing, flushing that out, you know, because when you start a company, you don't have everything figured out on day one, you know, and uh, it takes time. I mean, we're still kind of figuring that out, but I think, you know, the more you focus on it, the more you kind of learn about yourself and about everything. So I think that was a big part of it. But then also once we kind of had a bigger, better grasp on who we are and what we wanted to accomplish, I think it was getting that inside the minds of everyone who worked there and really like, telling them what we wanted and you know, what our goals were. How do, you get, like, how do you get inside the minds of people? Break that down. What does that look like? Is it just repetition? Is there, is there rituals? What were you doing? So uh, one thing that we could 
that we kind of took away from the Marines is uh, they have all these like little quotes, you know, that, um, you know, that help you remember certain things. Uh, I guess one stupid one that comes to mind, the Ray Kroc one. But if you have time to lean, you have time to clean, yes. you know, things like that, that are like uh, these analogies and little like quotes that resonate with you and they stick in your mind, you know? So I think, you know, for us, we kept drilling and everybody that we want, you know, great service, great food and great cleanliness. Mm. And so, you know, we kind of drilled that in the minds of everybody. And, um, you know, I, I it was just breaking down because you can write for days, paragraphs and paragraphs about, you know, what you want and what you want out of a culture. But I think coming up with very quick slogans and phrases um, really help out to kind of get people to really wrap their heads around what your goals are. And it's kind of like, you know, your people can't hit a strike if they can't see the pins, you know? Yeah. So you have to show them where the pins are yeah, at. Pictures. Oh, that's a one minute manager. Yeah, man. There. So a, a bunch of great things that come out of this. Obviously you, you got to paint that picture of perfection. You got to give people an aiming point or else they don't know. They're just showing up that they need to have an aiming point. It's so important. Also listening to you talk, I can't help but think of Mario Del Perro and his advice when he, when he was talking about culture, if you look at cultures across the, you know, across the history of humanity, every culture has its own language and rituals, right? And, and those languages and those rituals are, are unique to the culture and rituals specifically, you have to repeat things. You have to like, you know, you need a rhythm of like reminding people of who we are and what we're about. And then the language, certain cultures have language. And that's what you're saying. We have these sayings, like you have time to lean, you have time to clean and these things and these rituals become a part. And it just, it's like battering your people over the head with who we are and what we're all about. But it's, it's, we need it for hard wiring. We need it. Um, it sounds like that's kind of what was going on in your, in your situation. Safe to say. Yeah, safe to say. And thank you for uh, thinking of Mario. He's a oh, hero man. of mine. So. I love Mario. Do you know I got him on the show a second time, right? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I listened to it. He's Beautiful. great. Yeah. So, um, so we talked about uh, you just kind of battering people over the head um, with these mantras, these sayings, these rituals. And um, you also mentioned, and I kind of want to pull back the layers on this, and it was real quick that you – had had these the people that you hired reach out to their friends and recruit their friends and for a while you had this tight-knit group of people humming along but it bit you in the ass how did that bite you in the ass (laughs) well uh it became too much out of our 30 employees at that location i think maybe 20 of them were all high school boys uh who all were like a great group of friends you know together and so when you have that many people that are friends, you know, I think what started happening was they started kind of like banning together to kind of like go against the restaurant, you know, in a way, Uh. kind of like screw the man in a way, you know, like, uh, and I, it just, it, it started getting out of control for, for us with them because, you know, they're boys, they're high school, they were seniors, juniors and seniors. Some of them were graduating, going on to college. Um, and, uh, at that time, like, for example, we, we found out in the morning through Snapchat that these knuckleheads decided to have a fight club after work one day. So they closed the restaurant. I I can't even make this up. They literally closed the restaurant and there's cameras everywhere. So I don't know what these guys were thinking, but they literally moved all the tables in the dining room. They brought in boxing gloves and they literally had a fight club 
till like two in the morning at the restaurant. So from 11 when they closed for three hours, they were brawling each other inside the dining room. And like, we couldn't, we couldn't even believe it. Literally couldn't believe. How many times did this go down before you guys picked up on it? What'd you say? How many times did this go down before you realized how many clubs, how many sessions were there? Good question. I think only one because (laughs) also these uh, idiots put it on Snapchat. That's how we found out. So they're all filming it, you know, on their social media. And, you know, it literally wasn't even six hours before I got a call that, hey, you're not going to believe what happened last night. So that was kind of one of the turning points. Like, hey, all right, we got to break up this friendship (laughs) because this is not working out. How do you you handle a situation like that? How did you address it? Well, we had to fire two of them. We fired the two people who kind of, we found out who instigated the whole facility, you know, and uh, we let them go. And then that kind of was like a little bit of an example. Um, but there was some people that were um, like sour that we fired them. And, you know, and then one by one, we just ended up having to let go of, uh, you know, these guys. Uh, only out of the 20, I think there's two of the friends that still work at the restaurant, you okay. know. So, I mean, some things to consider when you, when you hire a group of friends, you have the, you're creating the opportunity for there to be kind of a bubble, like a little bit of a click. And if there's a special event, a dance or like, uh, of, of like people want to go places, you're going to have like five or six people all at once looking for time off. Like I can see how that could like be kind of an issue. I mean, it's, it's good for like, I guess culture. Like if you want like a close knit people or group of people but there are some some pros and cons to that approach um so earlier i asked you to kind of paint that picture um to, for the listeners uh 2018 the turn of 2018 uh you were two months in the last time you were on the show uh we kind of painted your biggest challenge and how you overcame that but what else was going on in your business paint that picture well i think um we had we, we just opened, basically we opened up without a sign. Uh, we didn't have enough money for it yet. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't really have anything figured out. So, uh, there was no customers coming in too. So it was the other part that people were kind of flowing in, um, slowly, but surely. And I always knew about publicist and PR, uh, being very powerful for restaurants. Um, I learned it from a lot of New York, uh, New York guys, you know, cause there's so many restaurants in New York that they have to kind of cut through the noise and yeah. kind of stand out. Um, so I talked to one of my friends and uh, they have a very successful restaurant. It's a Michelin starred uh, or two star Michelin restaurant in Chicago. And I was going through and I'm asking them like, Hey, so like, you know, you guys only been open up a year and you're already up for a Michelin star. Now they have two. But at the time I think they had, they just got their first or they were nominated. Um, and I was like, why, how, how are you guys so successful? Like, you know what I mean? And I thought he was going to say, oh, it's our, you know, our chef is amazing and he cooks the best food or our customer service, you know, or, you know, I thought he was going to name off all these obvious things. And he goes, oh, it's our publicist, our our PR. I was like, wait, what, your PR? Yeah. I like, I was like, I'm confused. And so he's like, honestly, we get mentioned, you know, 30 times a month in different magazines, newspapers, you know, on TV. And he's like, honestly, that keeps keeps people coming in. So you're two months. So, in, where, did you bring a, a publicist on at, at that two month point? I brought uh, her on at three months. Okay, so three so months. This is just it, after yeah. you were on the show. So real quick, before we that get into the, the power of that that publicist and having that, you mentioned something as a teaser. And if you knuckleheads did not listen to our advice to go back to episode four hundred and twenty five and kind of get caught up, um, you get into the benefits of doing a, like a 
like a below the radar opening and the benefits of that. So you're not getting slammed on day one and how that served. Oh you really yeah. Well. Totally. So just a teaser. If you, I mean, we don't need to unpackage that again today. Um, but when did you start to, you know, when did you start to actually let people know that you were open and start promoting this thing? Was that like after a month you were on the show and you got the publicist basically? Yeah. So I would say it was about three, three to six months in is when, um, we started using the power of the publicist, to, um, you know, really kind of get us, get us rocking and rolling. And that was a game changer. And that's a good point you bring up. I mean, I still believe in opening very slowly. Uh, we just did it in November with our uh, fourth location. Um, it's painful, but we opened up for just dinner. So we opened up from five to nine, I think, uh, you know, five days a week. So what was nice about that is that we had all, I think we had 25 people start with us. So all 25 people worked those same five shifts. You know, we are all together. And then that way you kind of get everybody on the same page. We did it for a month. And then from there we added in lunch and dinner five days a week, you know, so then we split up the team and then, you know, half the people started working lunch, half the people started working dinner. Then once, you know, that was kind of solidified and those key people knew what they were doing. We kept hiring. We, you know, opened up for a sixth day Then we were open up six days a week. And then eventually after almost, you know, a month and a half, we were open up, maybe two months, we were open up for seven days a week. So I like that even though it's very painful, like you want all that cash flow and revenue. So it's painful you're, because you're, you're your, your labor expenses are high and you're only open during limited of hours. So you don't have a, lot, a ton of cash flow. So you're kind of taking a, an initial hit, but the pain, no pain, no gain. What's the gain from that? I think if you're going to open up a restaurant, it's going to be there for 30 years, a hundred years. You know, I think you have to start with a really solid foundation. So if you try to jump into it, you know, as we all know, you only get one shot with a customer at the restaurant business. And so you really want to flush out every little cork and kink before you um, go full bore. And some of these restaurants, I don't understand it. They, day one, they're shouting on the rooftop. So grand opening, everybody come. But there's no way it's going to be a good experience. And if somebody shows up, they're going to try it one time. They're going to say, ah, that wasn't that good. I'm not coming back. But if you have two months of training, real training, where you're serving customers and getting their feedback and really working out everything before you have the masses start coming in the door, you know, you've already worked out all those kinks. You know, you know what works, you know, who, who works out, who doesn't on the team, you know, you kind of figure all that stuff out. And then I feel like you're ready. Well, you'll know when you're ready to kind of shout from the rooftops, like, Hey, we're open. Come see us. Yeah. And I think just the, the being able to like the, the difference between having one person trickle through the door slowly, you know, consistently versus having a line around the block is you get to, Hey, what's your name? How long have you been? Are you, are you new to town? We're new to town clearly. Like, and you get to like, start a dialogue with that person and get to know that person and like make an impact on that person instead of just like, all right, here's your order. Like get out of line for so I can serve the next person, which is just, you know, I just feel like there's probably, there's gotta be something just to, to, to that being able to have a high no. touch first experience. Huge. And if you have five tickets on the board, you know, it's easy to take your time and make every meal really great if you have 400 tickets on the board, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, how do you, you're, you're rushing, you're slammed. People are waiting long times. So I really feel like, you know, kind of what you said, you get to really care for each person, each meal individually in a nice slow pace 
you know, and that really helps kind of get the practice going so for I'm, when you are busy. I'm curious. Uh, I know that you, you have partners in this fine and uh, they're, they're, partners within the retail space, right? So you partnered with a, 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 a what's the word? A developer, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's a real estate. Uh, I have one partner. Okay. He's an investor and he um, is a real estate guy. So that's the reason we have four locations is because of his reach into real estate. So we kind of knew that we wanted to grow the company from the beginning. Um, so with his uh, network his reach into real estate. That's the secret of us growing our business is his, his grasp on that. So you said he's, he's also, he's, uh, an investor. So he's got, so he's injecting cash flow into the business and he's also got the network with, uh, the real estate. But do you, would you be, have been able to have the slow opening, um, of, you know, high, you know, high, labor expense, low cash flow, low, low amount of money coming in. If you didn't have this investor behind you, was he, was he giving you pools of cash to kind of stay fluid? Was that part of the reason why you're able to open slow or is it just, was there another variables that were no. in here? No, <laughs> no okay. not really. So, I mean, he's not that's like, good. I'm happy to hear that. Sitting on, yeah. Oh yeah. And he's not sitting on like a pile of cash where he's just like, Oh, Joe, let me write you a check. What do you need? You know? I mean, everything is very uh, strategic and, and we, we go on a shoestring budget. So, um, we drained all of our cash. I mean, literally we dedicated some startup operating cash, but it was really painful. I mean, opening up slow, you go through so much money and we were, I mean, we're, we're still in debt from location number four, um, because we, you know, we're, we're crawling out of all of our debt startup expenses. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like we had a ton of extra cash. Like it's not like I had like, oh, here's sixty thousand to you know run two months of labor. Like that wasn't the case at all. So what so, was it? What was? Um, how did you find this balance of being able to uh, have such a high labor expense? You have twenty five people working at once to make a very small menu, right? It's not like you have a massive menu and you need a ton of people in the kitchen. You guys are doing fried chicken sandwiches and you have a couple sides, right? Yep. Yeah. It's like a very in and out menu. You yeah. will. So how did you, what, what advice do you have for somebody who's taking this approach of slow under the radar opening 25 people on staff at once only open at night? Um, how did you manage those costs? How did you, how, how did you make that happen? Any, any little bit of advice before we start moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to be really conscious about labor expenses during that time. So even though you are training, you have to cut people, you know, you have to say, okay, they were here for a couple hours. We're going to cut them now. You know, you really have to um, be conscious of all the expenses going out. Um, what's nice about being open during that slow opening is, you know, you do have some cash coming in, so it's not a lot, but you know, you have orders coming in. So people are coming in to grab food. So, I mean, there is some cash flow and you kind of have to work with that, you know, so you just stretch that as far as you can. I mean, we came out on the other side of it, with the $0. I mean, I remember our bank account had like $3,000 total on it at the end of the two months. And I was like thinking like, Oh man, we're in big trouble here, you know? Uh, but thankfully it started picking up and, um, we kind of are building back now our slow growth. But, um, yeah, I think it's just being conscious, you know, like you, you don't want to dedicate a ton of money to that. Um, but you definitely want to be smart about it. 
Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, so one other question before we take a break to thank our sponsors. Uh, and then I want to get into uh, the whole idea of getting a publicist on board and how that has helped you in breaking that apart. Uh, I know you brought on a part or I don't know if it was necessarily an equity partner. My memory is a little foggy, but you brought somebody on who was strong where you were weak. And that was back of house operations. Um, yep. Is that person still with you? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. His name's Francisco Morales. Uh, he started out as our head chef and now he's kind of moved into a culinary director, but he's also a director of operations. Okay. Now. And when did, at what point did you bring him on your team as far, to help set up my, my timeline? Day one. Day one. He was, he was our first hire. Okay. Uh, I'm interested in, and when you brought him on, um, did you bring him on as partner or as like, what was that relationship? I mean, without getting into too much detail, I don't want to, you know, in, intrude on his privacy, but no. Oh yeah. No, he was uh, just hired as an employee of the company, if you will. Um, and now he's literally like the boss of the company, but he, um, he came on and, uh, you know, his salary was way more than I expected to pay at the beginning. Um, and at one point I actually literally had to take my car over to a title company and I gave them my title and they borrowed me $2,000 against my car so I could cover his salary in the first, like, you know, I think the, it wasn't the first round of payroll, but it was the second round. I had to leverage my car to get him paid. Uh, but that sacrifice uh, paid off in spades because, you know, he is, uh, he is a true leader in our company. And uh, I mean, he is basically, like I kind of mentioned, he's the boss of, of, of the, the company He's a huge reason why we're, why we're so successful. And uh, he had all the skills that I didn't have in the back of the house from an operation standpoint, from, um, you know, commercial kitchen. Like I could come to your house and cook you a great meal at your home table. But being a home cook like I am is very different than being a professional chef, knowing how to do things consistently yep. um, on a commercial scale. Efficiently. So that's where. Yeah. Awesome. Um. Okay, we're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Joe, I'm loving the conversation, man. This is great. Do you feel good? Awesome. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions no more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5k. 
All right, we are back, and I think now is a good time to start transitioning into this this idea of uh, investing early on in a publicist. Um, first and foremost, I mean, how did you even justify? What was what's the cost? Like, what did it cost you to have this publicist early on? I'm curious. So to start, it was uh, twenty five hundred dollars a month. Okay, which is two thousand five hundred a month. Yeah, especially yeah. early on, you don't have a lot of extra. I mean, that's I'm I'm sure that came out of like your earnings, potential earnings, did it not, or did you budget for it? Oh yeah. No, I mean, we didn't have any money. I just knew that, you know, that could project us to, you know, the goal of any restaurant is to become a staple, right? But Mm -hmm. if in order to be a staple, you have to be around in the neighborhood for a long time, 20 years, 30 years, you know, um, it's, it's, it's definitely a huge goal. I think for every restaurant is to become a staple in their neighborhood. But I just thought if we can get on TV, I thought that could really, you know, project us into this staple status a lot quicker than, you know, 20, 30 years kind of thing. So that was my thought behind it. I also don't believe still to this day in traditional marketing. So like sending out what mail. What do you mean by traditional? And, okay. So direct mail marketing? Yeah. Direct mail, even coupons. I'm very against coupons. We get pitched all the time about, Oh, you need coupons for this. Or do you want to do a coupon? I don't like coupons. I think I feel like it just cheapens your brand. I know they work. So I'm not, I'm not really well, like bring people you know, in, but they bring too hard. There's a lot of uh, people who believe that. Yes, you might see an, an initial flow of people because of these coupons and you see more heads in your restaurant, but are they the right heads? Are they the kind of people that are going to show loyalty to you? Or are they the cheap mother effers that just want a discounted meal and have no loyalty yeah, exactly. to you? Or the, the, the discount shoppers, right? And you don't want that kind of business. Well, and one thing I learned from our mutual friend, which I think he learned from his restaurant consultant, um, was a quote. And the quote goes, marketing creates trial and operations create sales. So it took me a long time to wrap my head around that. Marketing creates trial, operations create sales. And really, like, your operations have to be locked, stock, and smoking barrels. I mean, they need yeah. to be so tight. Um, and that's what will bring people back into your restaurant. You know, if they have a great experience, they come in, the customer service is great, the food's great, you know, they come back, the food's the same, you know, there's consistency there, the bathrooms are clean, the customer service is still great. You know, if those operations are rolling smoothly, um, then you'll get repeat customers. But marketing just creates trial. So mm-hmm. before you hire a, a, a publicist or a PR rep, you know, you better have your operations ready to rock and roll and you better have a great product. Because, you know, marketing, PR, it could, you know, it's great. It will create that trial where people will come in and give you a try. But it's the operations that will keep people coming back in over and over and yeah. over again. And just like, again, go, we're, we're like down at surface level to zoom back up to 20,000 feet, which is why it's so important for you the first couple of weeks or months to get those systems, to get that culture, to get the training down. So people, when you do have the masses coming, you're locked in, you know, you, you, you're, you're, everyone's aligned with what the job done right looks like. And we've had practice so you can knock it out of the park. When you do invest capital into driving people into your restaurant, your people will be prepared. Uh, so $2,500 a month, you hire this publicist. What does she start doing? Like what are the first things that she starts doing when she has her, when, when the contract's been signed, she's working for you. What does it look like? So, and we um, just to backtrack a little bit, we interviewed about five publicists before we found the one that we thought was a great fit for us, you know, um, why was she a great a fit? Publicist. What'd you say? 
Why was she a great fit? I think she was a great fit because of her relationships that she had with um, the different networks, specifically TV. So that was one thing we really wanted to focus on is getting ourselves onto TV, local Chicago television. And uh, we thought that we wanted a publicist that had great relationships and a great track record of, you know, getting people on TV, getting their clients on TV, you know, and we're still in that process because the big goal was to kind of go on national TV. So, but, you know, as a stepping stone point, you have to start with local and then you can kind of move to national. So that was um, a big key. Okay. So um, you started saying something um, when you, uh, you, you interviewed five uh, publicists and then this publicist that I, I, I interrupted your train of thought. Can you pick it back up? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we identified the girl that we wanted to work with, um, she got us on TV right away. So we went on a show called Windy City Live. I remember uh, Windy that. City Live. Crushed it. Yeah, it's um, it is uh, it's the show that replaced Oprah. So when Oprah retired um, on ABC Seven, um, they were the slot. That was the show that took over Oprah's spot. It's live TV, um, and uh, we went on, did a segment um, like a heat challenge, and literally no joke. I mean it was five minutes long. It lasted, uh, the second it ended, our phone started ringing. And before you know it, um, the next day we had our busiest day to date, you know, we had a line out the door. Then, um, one of the biggest food critics in Chicago, this guy named uh, Steve Delinsky, he's also on ABC seven and he has a, a segment called hungry hound. He goes around and tries a lot of the new places. Um, but it's really hard to make his cut. And, Sure enough, she reaches out to him. You know, he goes, yeah, you know, maybe I'll stop by. And, and it's all a gamble, too. Nothing's guaranteed at all. This, You know, she said she bugged him about one of her clients for three years, and he still has never tried the restaurant. So she gives him a call. Two weeks later, all of a sudden, he shows up in our restaurant and actually had a bad experience. It was, it was crushing. I get an email from him saying, you know, the, the, sandwich was partly dry the fries were he said the fries were good but half the sandwich was great the other half was not good we have a lot of work to do i mean he just like tore us a new one i, I was devastated and literally i was on a call with her saying like how are we can we you know can we bring food to his office can we see if we get another shot you know and uh literally in the middle of that conversation she gets an email saying hey it's steve Dolinsky. i want to go to fry the coop and shoot a segment um are they free on thursday and so you know, out of nowhere, he wanted to, you know, shoot something with us. Uh, so next thing you know, about a month later, we get on the hungry hound and that aired twice that weekend. And I'm not kidding you. A line formed around our building. We were wow. so busy. We sold out a chicken, uh, five days or five different occasions, different days in, uh, about a two week span after that aired that we were just running out. I had to hire, we went from 10 employees to, uh, 25, literally like almost overnight. We had to hire 15 people after we aired. And then from there, you know, it just kind of spiraled, you know, then we got on um, a show called Chicago's best, which is kind of like um, diners, drive-ins and dives a little bit, okay. but for the Chicago um, area, it's on WGN. Um, we went on WGN, uh, did a national segment. They do a lunch break, their national news. Um, we got on that. Uh, we got written up in the Chicago Tribune uh, featured in the Chicago Sun Times. Um, no, you know, was your just, publicist behind all these opportunities? A hundred percent. 
Yeah. Okay. So is it safe to say you recouped your $2,500 a month <laughs> having uh, her be a part of your team? Uh, if you're talking about return on investment, which yeah. I hate those corporate <laughs> terms, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I don't know where we would be without all that media, you know, attention. And, and it's a third party unbiased attention too. So, you know, it's really the publicist is just reaching out on your behalf to say, Hey, come check out, check out my client. You know, they're doing this or that. Uh, there's no guarantee that, to be that, that constantly journalists like, going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a lot of work to be constantly, and you guys can do this yourself. If you're listening to this, I mean, it, it's, it's not easy. It's going to be that thing after a 12 hour day, after you've gone home or, you know, after even a 14 hour day and you're exhausted, just make it an effort to like email one person, you know, get home, have one person, make a list of like the top 10 people or the top 10 resources you want to be of. And just, just slowly to start reaching out to people. And it helps to have somebody who has these relationships already established for sure. Uh, and in it, you know, that's one thing that you can just, you know, automate and you're probably going to expedite the process. But if you don't have the budget, the budget for the publicist, I mean, you can do these things on your own. I'll try to link to an episode I recorded with somebody who kind of took us through that process of how to reach out and like what, what being your own publicist looks like. Yeah. And you know, you're a hundred percent right. You can totally do it yourself. I think it's harder because they get pitched from all these publicists and people anyways, all day long. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's kind of like cutting through that noise. Um, but if you can, you know, once you get a relationship with say a journalist at your local paper, you know, um, then all of a sudden they'll come back to you. You know, I just did an interview, uh, for the Chicago Tribune with somebody who three years ago did an interview. And then he just called me out of the blue. He's working on a story and he's, Hey, I wanted to pick your brain about this or that. Um, so yeah, once you get in, you're in, but, um, it definitely is a lot of work. You know, like you said, after a 12 hour day, got to get to your emails, pound your emails, pound phone calls, leave messages, you know, it's, it's like cold calling. Um, but it's definitely doable for sure. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, you mentioned, how long did it take you to go from one up from one location to two locations? So that was, uh, almost, it was about 11 months. So okay. it took us, um, yeah, it took us some time, but I started working on it, uh, three months prior to that. So, you know, I would say like eight months in, we, um, we started working on location too. Okay. And, um, do you think you would have expanded this quickly if you didn't have a partner that was kind of putting the pressure on you to, that they had the real estate available and they wanted to move you in? Well, one thing that I do believe is that restaurants have a very quick ceiling, uh, as far as growth opportunities. You know, once you have your GM in place, you have your, shift managers, you know, you have your trainers, your crew. I mean, there's only so many spots for people to move up inside the company. Um, and so I think it's really important. Like for me, when I was working for a company, I wanted opportunity to grow. I wanted like something to hope for and to work towards, you know, and uh, I think that's really important in everyone's life. So I knew that we need to grow the company to have opportunity to grow our people and myself included, you know, me too, you know, there's a salary cap. There's, you know, there's a cap for me. There's a cap for everyone at one restaurant at two that expands from three, four to 15 to a hundred, you know, the more you can grow your company, the more you can give opportunity for your people to grow and -hmm. things for them to hope for and to work towards. Um, so I definitely think that was our path, but, um, to answer your question, to be able to do it in eight months, there's no way, 
there, there's just no way. I mean, it would have been a lot harder um, to pull that off, you know. If if for not if for what if not for what? Like I would say, definitely the startup capital. So that was one of the things. I mean, we were we are because of the publicist and because of the media reach. Um, we our first restaurant, we paid off everything, all our startup capital in uh, six and a half months, seven months. That's so awesome. we were debt free and how big profitable. was that how big was that that nugget that 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 debt so it wasn't that much we um started the first restaurant with sixty three thousand dollars uh we still, borrowed pretty awesome yeah it's like nothing right we borrowed twenty thousand and uh to lease our equipment or to like loan equipment and then um basically we just used startup cash uh, i'm sorry uh cash flow in the business to pay for other things and we're still doing it kind of going back to always be improving. Like since this um, pandemic uh, and our dining rooms closed, we just remodeled our bathrooms. That was something I always wanted to do because the bathrooms were not the best. And, um, you know, so like even almost three years later, we're, um, we're still using our cash flow to do things that maybe we would have done if we had an unlimited budget when we started, you know? So after, um, so you, it took you six months to pay off that debt. And then from that, at that point you started using cash flow to, to determine your growth or did you have, well, no, that's what I was saying is the benefit of having our, our real estate investor is because like we wouldn't have had cash flow, like we were profitable, but it would have taken another six months or, or more to, save money to open up that second store. So we didn't have to rely on our profits from our first location to open up location number two, because we got, we had our investor, you know, put up those startup costs that um, helped us open up, you know, location number two. So what were your biggest challenges going from one to two locations? So I think, you know, one, one initial challenge was that I wasn't going to be at our original location anymore. So I had to, you know, during one of our meetings, I sat down and told everybody, like, listen, we're growing the company, but you're not going to see me here anymore. You know, like, you can't rely on me to be doing shifts. If someone calls off, like, you know, you can't, I, I can't only be in one place at a time. So I think that was, I was working a lot of shifts, you know, managing shifts, even cashier shifts, dishwashing shifts, you know, somebody called in. Um, so I think that was uh, a transition is, not relying on me as a person in to work in the restaurant. So that was our first challenge. And, and I was still was filling in shifts and whatnot. Um, and I still do. It's just the more so, you know, I had to transition from working in the restaurant to working on the restaurant. Yeah. So that what was, was kind of what that second location forced me to what do. Was, what was the most difficult aspect of that transition for you? You know, I think kind of just um, prioritizing my tasks. Like one day I was sitting there and I filled in for a shift and I was filling up sauces, right? We had two ounce sauce containers. I'm filling up ranch and honey mustard and barbecue. And I'm just sitting there doing it. And it took me about an hour. And the whole time I was just thinking in my head, like this is a waste of my time. You know, not that it didn't need to get done, but like anyone could be filling up sauces, you know, the knowledge that I had and the work that I was doing like was more important than me sitting there filling up sauces. So I had to push myself to like, not do that, you know? And then, you know, it's hard when you're sitting in the office 
you know, knocking out paperwork and doing bills and stuff and the phone's ringing in the office, you know, I would pick up every time, you know, Hey, Father Coop, you know, how can I help you? What can I get you? You know? And then I'd have to write down their order, run to the cashier. Hey, here's an order that just came in a phone order. Here you go. Go sit back down. Now, when I sit down at the desk, I don't pick up the phone. I mean, I want to, to me, I love giving people great customer service. Even pick up the phone. I love joking with people, laughing with them, you know, making them smile, even over the phone, taking an order. But you have to have self-restraint because I know that the work I'm doing growing the company is more important than me answering the phone to take this phone order. And like, yeah, maybe we missed the order. You know, maybe our cashier is too busy and these guys are too busy running around because it's lunch rush and no one picked up the phone. So we just lost out on, you know, $25 in, you know, revenue. But what's more important, you know, taking in that, like taking that phone call or knocking out the task at hand to grow the company. So managing yourself was your biggest challenge from going from one to two locations, uh, giving your, making sure you had the discipline to do the things that only you could do and to unplug from the day to day was your biggest challenge. What else was your challenge? Um, I think, um, well, at this location specifically, I mean, hiring was a, a bit of a challenge because our other store is in, you know, not a poor neighborhood, but it's definitely a, a more working class neighborhood. The store um, number two. Uh, store number one is in more of a working okay. class neighborhood. Store number two is in a very wealthy neighborhood. Um, so the high school kids, they don't need to work. You know, like we have high school kids at our Oak Lawn store that they work and they give their checks to their parents to help them pay rent. I mean, it's like, it's that serious where, you know, at our second store, it's a pretty well-off neighborhood and, you know, these kids live in big houses. We put out a job description, you know, we put out a job post in our first store, we get 60 applications. We put out a job post at our second store, we get three. Um, So I I think that was uh, a little bit of a challenge is like uh, filling in and getting as many people, you know, there. How did you overcome that Um, challenge? What do you say? How did you overcome that challenge of having of getting of recruiting people in a low wage position in a high scale community or high class community? Well, you, we got creative, so we reached out to all the high schools and worked with all their career counselors. We reached out to all the local colleges um, with their at their same kind of thing. Career counselors. How did that outreach post. look like? What, 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 what did that conversation look like? Uh, no, they're, they're actually really into helping. So you call the local high school, wherever you at, and just say, Hey, I want to talk to somebody in career counseling and, uh, they'll connect you. And then they're more than happy to put a job post on their board. They put it on their, the school website. Um, they have students, you know, um, we started reaching out to actually teachers themselves. So I would reach out to a teacher and say, Hey, do you got any students that you just love that, you know, are hardworking and you could see really kicking butt. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, hey, could you mention we're hiring, you know? And they would actually kind of recruit for us. I get calls okay. from these teachers like, hey, uh, they, uh, you know, I got three awesome students I'm sending your way, you know? And uh, that really helps. And I think I cut you short. So you reached out to the college, you reached out to the high school, and you were going to continue to go on who you reached out to. Who else did you reach out to? Um, we started, originally we were just using Craigslist. So we started paying a little more money for Indeed. Um, and kind of really like targeting our, our post stuff. I was also going around, like I would go get lunch at other places and I would just hand my card. Like if I got good customer service, I would literally hand over my card. Be like, Hey, if you're unhappy here, we're hiring down the street, you know? So I would 
literally try to recruit people like personally, you know, just from, I remember I chased a girl down, uh, Oh, Chipotle. I saw her. Did an <laughs> interview in creepy, Chipotle, Joe. <laughs> and it was weird. She, she's running out. She's walking to her car and I happen to be leaving at the same time. And I just said, Hey, Hey, excuse me. And she looked at me really weird. Like what? Like, were you just interviewing in there? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, Hey, we're also hiring, you know, right down the street over here. Here's my card. You know, if you're interested. So nice. I think just getting creative. Yeah. Getting after it. Yeah. Um, what else were your biggest challenges from that, that transition from one to two recruiting people in a, in a high scale or, um, uh, I keep on saying high scale, but that's not the right high class, <laughs> uh, upper class, uh, community. What else? Uh, so one thing we did too is, um, our, uh, one of our prep cooks, great guy. He just was a terrible prep cook. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a little slow, bigger guy, his back, uh, started hurting him a lot, you know? And, uh, great attitude, but just not good at prep. So we decided that we're going to let him go. And we did it in a kind of a nice way. Like, Hey, like, you know, like, uh, you're not really working out of prep. We're going to keep you on, but you should probably start looking for other jobs, you know? And that was kind of the conversation we told him, we'll give him like a month or, or more, you know, to kind of find a new job. We didn't want to leave him high strung. Cause he was a great guy, you know, show up to work. He just wasn't good at that position. Uh, I guess this is a great example of a, someone who's the right person on the bus, but wrong seat on the bus. And, um, so our, um, our director of operations, he said, Hey, what about if, uh, we had him start doing some recruiting and started doing uh, some admin work and kind of helping us like off the style. And I thought, Oh man, you know, that's probably not going to work out, but sure. We'll give him a shot. And today he is now our HR. He's our HR administrator and he's an admin and kind of also kind of transitioning into our IAT guy and he is just crushing it. He does payroll nice. now a hundred percent. He recruits. So he's on the phone. He's pounding the phone, calling people. We're always hiring. I mean, we're always interviewing and if there's a great person, we'll bring him on. So he is every day he's making recruiting calls. Um, you know, he's, uh, he does, um, employee reviews. I mean, he is just crushing it, literally crushing it. So I think that was a huge thing too, because I realized after we had two locations up and running, like, Hey, I don't have time to be recruiting anymore. You know, I don't have time to sit down and do interviews. And, um, you know, even though I love that part of it and I'm, I'm good at it. Um, I didn't have the time to be so focused on it because it takes following up. You know, you get a candidate, you know, you call them, say they're in school or something, they don't pick up the phone. Then you have to follow up. You have to call them again. Then you have to have a phone interview then a phone interview, you have to schedule a face-to-face interview. They come in, someone's got to do a face-to-face. Maybe they have a second face-to-face interview. Then you got to bring them on. You know, it's, it's, it's literally a lot of work. The HR recruiting side of it is a ton of work. So, so do you guys, um, is all your HR and recruiting in-house or are you using any third-party uh, resources or tools to manage that HR arm? Uh, no, we do it. We just do it in-house. It's too expensive. But you have a background uh, in HR. What'd you say? But you have a background in HR. I do. Yeah. I worked for a um, IT staffing company for a couple of years. So I went, you know, I used to recruit and I used to um, look at resumes over and over and over again, but these are different positions too. You know, it's not like you're hiring like a, like an IT professional who has like a certain skill set, and, you know, who maybe has different training or certificates and like a different like technology or different skill set. I mean, we're hiring green, you know, kids who have never worked before, college kids, you know, we're looking for 
people who it's either their first or second job, you know, who has a great attitude. Um, so it's a different kind of recruiting, you know, and also their hourly workers, you know, just starting out. So it's not like, you know, they're like big salary, you know, people that we're bringing on the team. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, what were you, I mean, have we gotten to any of the other big, big challenges? I mean, we, we covered a lot as far as, uh, trying to find the right people. We got into a lot of detail on how you found those people. You found somebody who wasn't great in one role and you recruited them to manage the HR portion of your business. What else, like how far, how long did it take you to go from two to three? So then, uh, our third location, um, well, we started working on our third location in, um, we, we signed the lease in December of 2018. So basically so now like four months after the second location. Yeah. Approximately. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was a bigger project and that ended up turning into our fourth location because it took almost a year to do the build out there and we okay. ran into a lot of problems. Um, so in the summer of 2019, uh, we went to a food hall to visit one of our friends, check out their new spot. And we ended up talking with the uh, manager at the food hall. Um, and he's like, Hey, would you, I heard about you guys. Are you interested in maybe, you know, um, opening up in the city? And we were like, yeah, we'd be interested. And before I know it, I was on the phone the next day with them. Like, Hey, we need to have a meeting. There's something urgent. I can't you know, disclose it, but you know, can you come like tomorrow to meet with us and my boss? So, you know, all of a sudden two days later, I'm sitting down in a meeting and I found out that one of their vendors was basically throwing in the towel because they weren't making enough money and uh, they wanted to replace them with us. So it kind of came out of nowhere. It was a, it was a great opportunity where they courted us. And so they kind of threw up the startup cash for this and um, no joke within the, that meeting uh, we went into two weeks later to negotiate a lease and, you know, negotiating a lease when you get attorneys involved, it takes time. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. So I, they wanted us to open up two weeks later. The general manager did. And I told him, I said, listen, I know we don't have a lease signed, but if we're going to open up in two weeks, like we need to get all the equipment ordered right now. And I need to start making like, you know, I need to start making arrangements to get us to get us open by this date. And uh, they said, um, he said, all right, fine. We shook on it. This was before a lease was signed. Um, the Friday, we, we opened up on a Monday, but the Friday before, that was the last day of the old vendor. And this was in June of 2019, the last summer. So five days after um, the old vendor was out. What'd you say? Five days after the old vendor was out. Yeah, not even three days. So Friday Friday at 4 p.m., the vendor closed their, closed their stuff rolled their equipment out of there, took their signs down. I was standing there at four o'clock waiting for them to leave, which was awkward. <laughs> they <laughs> left. Uh, and I stayed there till one in the morning that day, uh, getting the booth ready, came back at seven in the morning. The next morning stayed there from 7am till midnight on the Saturday. Damn. Sunday, same thing came back by Monday. We were open up. So That's from crazy. Friday to Monday, but that was a situation where it was just a 200 square foot booth. You know, it's in a food hall. So they already had the hood there. You know, it was already set up. We just really needed to roll our equipment in there, get our inventory, get our food set up, get our, you know, POS in line. Um, and uh, yeah, within three days, within a month, basically, of the initial conversation, we were opened up. So that That's location crazy. came. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. It was just a, 
kind of a blessing. And I think that's another benefit to doing one thing really well. This is something that comes up on the show over and over again. It's kind of funny because I see more and more people like, especially with COVID-19, everyone's like, Oh, like the solution to this is to narrow down your mark, your your menu and just focus on a few things really well uh, and and make those your staples. And that will keep you afloat until blah, 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 blah. But I feel like all the stuff that like we've been talking about for the past, like at least five years of just these trends of like, okay, like doing one thing really well, allows you to scale faster, allows you to be put all that energy into doing that one thing really well. And it also makes taking opportunities like this and it makes taking those opportunities easier because all you have to do is, I feel like to, to get a small, a small space like this available, like you're not cutting your, your menu down, right? Cause it's already cut down. So you can just move in real quick and you don't need a lot of equipment cause you're only doing a few things, right? Talk, talk about how like this, this doing a few things really well creates opportunity. Cause I never even saw, saw it as a way to allow you to take more opportunity faster. Oh, you know, you're a hundred percent right. And I, I lived in California for five years and that was one thing I noticed in California just while I was, prepping to open up a restaurant as I saw these places that were doing one thing really well, just really exceeding at that. And, uh, yeah. you know, in and out burger was a huge influence to me where if you look at their menu, it's, you know, cheeseburger, double cheeseburger, fries and a shake. I mean, it's got yeah. four items on the whole menu and I've never seen an in and out without a line at the drive through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't so, think we got into it, but we mentioned you do fried chickens fried chicken, specifically Nashville fried chicken sandwiches is your niche. Um, what, what's on your menu? Our menu is a little similar. We have four sandwiches. We have a tender plate. We have a kid's tender plate, which is basically the same thing, just smaller. And then we have chicken and waffles. And then we have a couple sides, you know, fries, seasoned fries, uh, mac and cheese, potato salad. I mean, it's really, uh, really simple. And that to me is, um, a huge advantage, kind of like what you were talking about, because we need less equipment. We need less space in the kitchen. Our inventory is really low. We only have mm-hmm. three key items that we really order, which is, you know, chicken breast, chicken tenders, and potatoes um, mm-hmm. for our fresh cut fries. I mean, it's really, really simple. And that that is like totally on purpose. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of the old school thinking was to make it as complex as possible so no one can copy you times have changed, you know, the internet's around. So if someone wants to copy you, guess what? They're going to copy you. There's nothing you can do about it. They can figure it out, you know? So I think, um, doing what you do really, really well, uh, and nailing that, that's something that's harder to copy in my opinion. And so like even our training, you know, for our sandwiches, our sandwiches are mainly the same. There's just slight variations. I can train you on our line on sandwiches in less than 10 minutes, you know, so we can bring you on and you can be working a shift and do great at it. And, and within an hour, you know, where I remember one of our mutual friends, Oscar, um, you know, he had a very complex, you know, Mexican restaurant in Texas. And, you know, he was saying it took him two months to train line cooks to, you know, nail their recipes. Because it's complicated, right? Yeah, um, and like you, so sometimes you only have people working for you for like six months to a year. So like a big chunk of their existence in your restaurant is just getting to the point where they don't completely suck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, totally. So, yeah. And I and I think that uh, we we intentionally try to make things really simple, and we're continuing to like how can we make it even more simple? Like keep it simple, stupid is like you know something we live by, and we try to 
uh, inject even more into the business. Like, how can we, okay, this is complicated. How can we cut all these steps in half, you know? And uh, we're constantly doing that until literally like, you know, it's a smooth, easy, simple thing to do. So what are some of the benefits of being in a food hall versus having your own brick and mortar? Get into that real quick. Uh, operationally, how you've had to adjust for that type of op- that, that specific type of operation. Food halls are an amazing opportunity. Um, for one, you know, our startup costs were next to nothing going into the food hall. So I think that was a huge advantage. Um, there's already a audience of people that go to the food halls. So if you get into a food hall, um, you know, there's a huge audience already built in, you know, people are already coming. So I think you can take advantage of that and get a lot more people. Uh, for us, this food hall is right in the downtown loop of Chicago. So right in the, literally the smack dab middle of the loop. Um, what's nice is a lot of people who work in the loop all come from the suburbs or they come from all around the Chicagoland area. So these folks take trains, they, you know, take buses, um, and they go into the loop for work. But then they get to try your brand there at the food hall and then they go back to their neighborhood and they're telling people about you. They're talking about you, you know, so I think there's a marketing aspect where you're kind of um, having a chance to get in front of a lot more people than you normally wouldn't. If you're staying just like a neighborhood, you know, that only people who go to that neighborhood know about you uh, opposed to being in a place like that where, you know, now everyone in the whole Chicagoland area get to know us, you know? Awesome. So that's pretty cool. Um, the other thing about the food hall is that, um, I mean, for ours specifically, it was super easy to schedule because this is just a lunch food hall. So we had four people working there Monday through Friday. They get nights and weekends off. You don't need to schedule it. There's no scheduling because everyone knows their shifts. So they just come and work it. And I would say from a, like, from an operation standpoint, it's a lot easier because you don't have a lot of people calling off, you know? Um, so that was, that was a huge advantage for us too. And, um, nice. what else? Um, and Oh, the marketing too, from the food hall itself. So, and like the PR that comes from it, um, you're included in that. So like, nice. you know, they're, they're doing their own marketing efforts and now you're being exposed to their audience. Um, to people who maybe never heard of you before, you know, they're now marketing for you kind of thing. So this was your third location. You originally tried to open another brick and mortar standalone, but ran into complications with that, but eventually got it open. What were those complications? So we hired the wrong contractor. So that was, um, initially we bid it out to three people because it was a, a, a restaurant. It was actually a Michelin starred restaurant. Um, Damn. and we had to flip it around from this fine dining concept to basically like a Nashville hot chicken dive bar, you know? So, mm. um, we, uh, it wasn't that the contractor that we hired that we chose didn't do good work. Um, his work was decent. It was good in some aspects, but he just dragged the process out. And, um, you know, our initial deposit was $35,000 for to start the work. And after about two months, I had walked through with another contractor, a friend of mine, and I said, Hey, you know, this guy's not showing up. Nothing's being done. You know, can you, can you help me, you know, go through everything he did so far? So I walked through and I said, okay, he did that. And he did this and he took down that and this, that. And he goes, my friend told me, listen, there's been about maybe two days of work done in here total. 
And I would say it's less than $10,000 in work. So, you know, he said maybe it's about $7,500 worth of work that's been done. And it would have taken our crew two days to do that. And it has been two months, two months had passed. So instead, what I should have done is I should have fired this contractor that moment and said, hey, you're not living up to your promise. You're taking too long. We need to get this place open. Like you're fired. And I want my, I want $25,000 back, you know? Um, but what I, that would was you the biggest check the, I ever wrote. In would you have life. been able to so, do that? Would, would you have been, what, did you, I mean, you're in a contract with this person, right? Um, would, would, did the contract give you that ability just to fire them on the spot like that and to refund you? Yeah, totally. I we probably wouldn't have got our money back, but I would have chalked that up as a better loss and hired someone else to finish the job instead of, um, you know, dragging it out where his work didn't finish until we started February 15th and he never finished 18 2019. We started 19, 19. February 15th was the actual day we started where I handed over that initial deposit check and he didn't finish until September 15th. And he actually never finished. So we had eventually ended up having to have a contractor come in and we spent about $15,000 over what um, we had paid him to have contractors finish. And so that was a big lesson for me. And, and I screwed up too. I should have had him like give me his, like I asked him if he had his license. He never had his license. I'm pretty, I'm almost positive. So I should have, you know, in Chicago to get your contracting license, it's kind of a big deal within the city. It takes six months to do it. Damn. And so he told me he had it and I just believed him when I should have had him made, made proof of that. Um, I should have had him, List to have list the center's insurance. I should have made proof of that. Um, when when the permits, like we had the permits that were being done, he never filed any permits. So eventually, we had to file permits after the fact. And so that was another thing. Like I should have demanded to see the permits and actually see them like posted. Um, so it was a big learning experience for me, and I chalked it up as like, hey, I learned a lot. Um, but really, I would say our contractor who we chose um, really. Uh, shit the bed on that one so are you sticking with the same contractor now that the, with the contractor that you replaced this guy with is he doing your other build outs or are you um no and we kind of piece piecemealed it too so but we have uh, um someone who are doing you piecemealed it you said what'd you say you said you piecemealed it uh yeah i think basically i just I, like i hired my own electrician i hired my own you know um wood guy i hired a guy to come in and do um, you know, just, I just kind of, I acted as general man, uh, general, uh, the GM of it basically. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, uh, general contractor, um, general contractor. Uh, thank you. So, okay. Now we're at four locations, which is where you're at today. And that was, when did you have the fourth location buttoned up again? Remind me in tonight, uh, September, 2019. Uh, yeah, we opened, uh, November 22nd. Of so like seven months ago, seven months ago. And yeah. now you have two, yep. two new locations going. Um, Reflecting at your culture three years ago, was it two, two and a half years ago? Sorry. Um, and when you guys were, you know, when you, when you got to the place that you felt like it was on par with your identity um, and what you're trying to do and you, you're in the process of scaling now, you're being divided into four different locations. How have you been able to scale that culture? You, you mentioned, and I feel like you've, you've, you've been scaling kind of quickly Four locations in two and a half years is kind of aggressive, right? Um, how are you 
what are you doing to maintain that culture? And is the culture in your opinion, the same as it was back when you started? So, um, kind of going back to what I said a little bit where every location has its own culture. Um, and that's very true. So we had to look, you know, within each location and kind of deal with molding that culture to get it to be, you know, something we think would be great. Um, one, so at our second location, we had found out that gossip was uh, a real big problem. Everybody was gossiping about this and that. And I never thought it was even a big deal. I've heard people on your show talk about gossip, talking gossip. It's like, it's like what with the housewives. (laughs) Oh, it's terrible. Literally. I mean, really, and it it crushes a culture. Gossip will kill, kill you literally. So we had, um, an all hands on staff meeting and we had to tell everybody like, listen, like we will not accept gossip anymore. Like this is, you know, when you come to work, you should feel safe. So that's, you know, you should feel safe from violence, from harassment and gossip. And gossip was almost taking over our, our location, our second location. So we had to tell them. What were some of the things that people were gossiping about? You know, I think it's like, you know, when you hear, oh, this person did that or, or this person, um, like, uh, her grandma passed away. So she had to go to, um, go to Alabama or Arkansas or something to, um, you know, go to the funeral. But then they posted a video of Snapchat and they were on, you know, kayaks, um, on a lake, you know, during that trip. But like, I'm sure she had other family. I'm sure she was down there for it. But then all of a sudden, everyone in the restaurant's like, oh, she lied and she's full of it. And, you know, she's out there having fun and her grandma probably didn't even die. You know, stuff like that, where they're just like talking smack about one another when they're not there. Um, and it could be as little as, you know, maybe maybe two people in the restaurant hooked up and now everyone's talking about it, you know, and it's like making things awkward. And um, we just, you know, and they don't even know if it's true or not. That's the problem. So I think, you know, we just literally told everybody we are not tolerating gossip anymore. And if you are caught gossiping about somebody else, like you're not welcome here anymore. So we really had to put our foot down at that location because gossip was taking over our culture. Mm. The other thing is we, how do you, how do you squash gossip? You just put your foot down and create a no tolerance, zero tolerance policy. Yeah. And I think you have to follow up on it. It's not like you can just, you know, have a meeting and then everything's like magically perfect again. Um, you know, you have to find out certain things, you know, and if somebody's talking about somebody, you have to pull them to the side and say, Hey, what are you doing? You know, what, what, what happened? And why are you telling people about that? Like that's none of your business, you know? And I think just really letting people know that you're not going to tolerate it. And then when a situation does happen, you know, you pull them out and you, you know, talk to them, and you don't accept it. And, and if you have to, you fire people, you know, you let people go. And that was a, a situation where um, we did have somebody in the restaurant. It was a manager. And, and here, this was a big learning lesson for us too. So this manager was always on time, was a super hard worker, was trustworthy. Um, and was just like a literally a most ideal badass employee, except for the fact that they gossiped like crazy and they made it uncomfortable for everyone else. And so, you know, we kept saying, given this person second chances, third chances. And it was just at the, you know, we realized like, Hey, we can't tolerate this anymore. So we had to let him go. And 
that was, um, I use that now as a great example for us is that we have to be really good at firing people and letting people go. Um, even as harsh as that sounds, because I think the success of our business is hinging on the fact that we fire people before they get to. Well, there's a reason why there's a saying hire slow fire fast. Right. And, um, you got to keep that standard high and, and, uh, I mean, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. You really got to keep that bar high. As soon as you start lowering that bar over time, that bar gets a little bit lower, a little bit lower, a little bit lower. And before you know it, you're like the frog in in hot water, you know, that just boiled itself to death and didn't even realize it. Um, No, you're nail on the head. And I think like firing people is also a blessing for them too, because if they're working at a company and they're not doing a good job or they're a bad culture fit, um, you know, they're not doing themselves a service and the company's not doing a service to them. And yeah, it's not fun to be fired or it's not fun to fire people, but you know, that may force them out of their comfort zone and that may push them to do something else or to go to another company and they might find a better fit for themselves. Like they don't know what's around that corner because you can't see it. You know, and it might be hard to go through that transition, but once you do make it on the other side, I really think there's a reason for everything. And if someone's not a good fit at your company and you know it right away, um, you know, fire them and move on because you got to surround yourself with great people. And if you start hiring bad people and, you know, people who are in gossip or are just going to bring your culture down, um, that's going to pull everyone down, you know? So you want to surround yourself with great people and you can never, you'll never know that from interviews. I don't care. You can interview somebody. And we did, we interviewed a manager four times. I even had my mom interview him this was going to be a big role in the company. No joke. I put him on the phone with my mom for an hour and um, everyone gave a thumbs up. And three months later, we found out that the person was a piece of shit basically. And so, you know, you don't really see someone's true colors until you actually work with them and get in, you know, get in the the dirt with them. And uh, so I think it's really important to, you know, let people go. So anything else we haven't discussed up to this point, um, we talked to, I mean, we, I don't know if we really rounded off the, the culture question though. Cause I asked you, is your culture as strong today as it was when you were in that one location, you were present and you said that, you know, there's little micro, um, cultures of micro communities developing within each location. Um, am I putting you on the spot right now? No, 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 no. And, um, I think, culture is always changing. And like one thing that um, I actually have this book here with me, uh, culture nice. for dummies. Yeah. Mike Mike Canino. Canino. Boy. Yeah. But um, basically uh, do you have it too? You got it on the shelf over there? Unless I lent it out to somebody, there's, which is a very good chance. Oh, I think I see it. Yeah. I'll, I'll All just, right. Just, cheers, dude. Shout out, shout out to Mike. Bring it up. Let's do a, 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 a book cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Chink. But go, honestly, Mike, a little, a little I prop. think, um, and, he, and, and Mike's the one who brought this up, is that, you know, depending on the people that are in your restaurant or in your company, that is really the culture. You know, it's how everyone interacts with each other. You know, so one bad seed can really, you know, throw that off. So each restaurant is evolving and, you know, we're always hiring and there's people that are leaving, you know, we have turnover like everybody else. But I think like, you know, when you have the key group of people that are really hardworking, they work well together, 
they have fun together. They go out and hang out afterwards together. I mean, to me, that makes a great culture. And sometimes you bring people in who, you know, disrupt that, you know? And uh, so I think for each, each of our stores, the culture is always changing based on who's, who's in the company and who's not at that location. Um, so I think it's something that is always changing. So it's not like I can say like, okay, we reached our goals. Our culture is great, you know, uh, because it's something that you're constantly working on and you're constantly, you know, picking apart and trying to manipulate and mold and help. And um, so th- there will, I don't think any company can say that, oh, our culture is perfect, you know, because it, it never will be. You're always yeah. working at it. Um, so I think that um, each, each store has its own culture depending on who's in there at the time and um, how we can influence it. But they're all still today. They're all different. I mean, all four of our places are different. So one of the things that comes up often on the show, as far as when you know it's time to scale, is when you have people within the the four walls of the of the the current buildings you have that have run out of opportunity, right? Where you have um, all the all the roles all the roles filled, all the leadership roles filled, and now there's people below those leadership roles that are totally qualified and could easily step into those leadership roles, but the people that are occupying those roles aren't going anywhere because they're, they're happy with their job. Right. And then you're like, well, how do I create opportunity for these people who can clearly grow beyond the roles they're in? Um, are you at that place with all of your four locations right now? A hundred percent. I mean, we're trying our best to grow the company. I mean, we're opening two locations right now simultaneously. Um, and we're constantly trying to grow the company to create opportunities for everybody. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, everybody, um, who is like hourly employees, you know, it's not like we have like a line of leaders waiting to, you know, get to management. Um, but there's definitely, you know, a select few that are these rock stars that like, Hey, this guy definitely can be, you know, great at management. Um, but yeah. sometimes, you know, it's not, you know, just cause someone's great at their job doesn't mean that they're going to be a good manager, you know, and we just, uh, I had this guy, he was a manager, a shift manager at a store for about three months. And he decided, you know what? I don't want to be a shift manager. You know, I just want to come to work and do my job right now. And, uh, he wanted to go back to school, but we said no problem. So now he's back to just kind of doing his thing on the line, you know? So, um, I think we're always looking for leaders and we're trying to challenge ourselves to, you know, grow leaders, um, especially with our managers now, like, you know, we set up some systems where they can anonymously write somebody up through our HR department and we can, you know, write someone up. What are those systems? What'd you say? What system is that? So, um, is there like a name outsourcers or in-house? We don't, we don't really have a name for it. It's basically, you know, we want our managers to write up people when they're not doing what they're supposed to, right? If someone's coming late every day, you know, the manager should pull them to the side and say, Hey, you know, you need to be on time. You know, what can we do to help you to be on time? Or if they dress sloppy or if they're not communicating on the line or something like that, you know, but sometimes it's hard for a manager. It's our managers work in the restaurant. They're on the line, they're out in the dining room, they're running around. Um, you know, to scold somebody and to have a hard conversation with somebody. And then 10 minutes later, they're back on the line working with them, you know? So we created this, this opportunity for a manager to write somebody up. They could submit the write up to our HR department, which is now two people. And then that HR 
um, person can reach out to that person and say, Hey, you know, you're written up by the management team. So it's not, they're not calling anyone's name out. It's anonymous. And they're saying, Hey, we're, we're writing you up because you're late every day. But the reason you're being written up is because we want you to be better. We want you to be on time. You know, like, and there are ways we can help you get better. Um, but that kind of deters our managers from becoming leaders themselves because then they're just passing the baton, you know, over to somebody else. Like, Hey, I don't want to really deal with this. You deal with it. You know? Um, so we created that system to help people if they felt uncomfortable writing somebody up and having those hard conversations, but we kind of need to make them better leaders so they can grow and have those hard conversations. So we're kind of shifting that a little bit now where we're what if you had a system where you encouraged your inner, like your employees, like your entry level employees, um, your baseline employees to report anonymously to your mid-level managers. So that have you thought about scaling it down? So you're empowering your people to kind of take on that, that it's my company to Tom Walter philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of have that process set up, but it was more centered around like sexual harassment and things like that, you know, like kind of harassment styles. Um, But I like that at Starbucks also has a thing where they call training up and training down where a, you know, frontline employee can actually train a manager and vice versa. So I do really like that. We don't have a system in place for that yet, but I really like that. Um, check out if, if you guys are interested in what we're talking about right now, check out Tom Walter past guest on the show, his book, it's my company too, which is all about creating an entangled organization where you don't know who's the manager because you're, you've empowered everybody to call everybody else out. If, if you, cause you know, the standards, you know, the culture, you know, the values. So if you see anybody out of line, regardless of who you are in the hierarchy, you have the, you, you have the empowerment to, make it right. It's a really powerful school thought. Um, did I cut you short? No, no. I was just going to say, yeah, Tom's a great guy, great leader. Uh, he's here in Chicago. Has a great Tasty catering. And, uh, yeah. That book is awesome. Yeah. And another resource for you guys, if you, if you want to, there are systems, um, that, that already exist that you can plug into your business today that allow you to do anonymous reporting. I think there's free versions of it. Head, uh, head to the show notes and look for ethics. This, the link to ethics suite, Juliet Gus past guests on the show. Another really great tool. Again, that's ethics suite uh, where you can use that, that framework to do anonymous reporting within your business. Uh, really great school of thought there. Um, all right. So we got to start thinking about wrapping up this conversation, Joe time goes by so fast with you, dude, I've been loving it, but I, I want to, before we, we go into talking a little bit about COVID, uh, how real quick, how you have adapted and what you think the future and how you're existing right now. Cause I want to try to pull a little bit of nuggets around that topic in every interview, anything you have not gotten out on the table, um, regarding your four businesses or your four locations now and, and fry the coop. Yeah. So, you know, originally, um, there's the book, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, why am I losing my train of thought? Uh, the book is about, um, not working in your business, working on your business. Oh, the, uh, the ethic or the e-myth. Sorry. E-myth. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, e-myth was a book that I read before we started the company. And I always knew that was, you know, a goal of mine is to get to working on the business and not so much in it. And, you know, like we were been talking about in this conversation, going from multiple locations, you know, from one to multiple has really pushed me to do that. And I'm at that stage now, but there is, um, the author of profit first, 
uh, Mike Michalowicz, he wrote a book recently called Clockwork. And Clockwork was basically like a pre, it's like E-Myth is a precursor to Clockwork. And essentially, like what I'm doing now is I'm trying to delegate everything that I do in the business to other people. So we just hired a full-time HR person. You know, we have our director of operations, but we hired an assistant director of operations. Um, soon enough, we're going to be hiring a um, controller for our accounting. Um, but I am now getting to the point where, you know, I want to move from working onto the business to the clockwork standpoint where like I'm almost making myself obsolete where all my tasks, everything I do in the company is going to be handled by somebody else. Yeah. So I like my, my favorite thing to do in the, the restaurant is to walk around white tables and talk to customers in the back room. That is like literally my favorite thing to do. And I literally get to do that 0% of the time now, you know, my job has changed every six months basically. Um, but I want to get back to the point where I have nothing to do. I can just go into the restaurants and talk to guests and white tables and probably the most powerful thing you can do. Honestly, it's all about those relationships. Um, seriously, no, and I I love doing that. Yeah. Just being able to have a presence in all of your restaurants, maybe not every day, but at least every week you can touch each restaurant and, and check in with your people and and the the customers at those places. I mean, that's so powerful. Um, awesome stuff. Did I, yeah, yeah, I'm just rounding it out that, you know, I think, and I want to challenge everybody who's listening to this, who has a company is to, you know, his in the book clockwork, it challenges you to take off for one full month. So not this year, next year, my goal is to take off for four weeks straight and not get one phone call from your business. So I'm in the process of doing that now where I'm delegating everything I do to get to the point where our company runs like clockwork essentially. And then I can either maybe start another business or I can be in the dining room having fun. Um, you know, like I'm, quote unquote CEO of our company right now. But one day there will be an, there will be somebody who takes over my, my, my shoes. And, um, I think that's, that's the true American dream is to where yeah. like right now my company owns me. I want to eventually own my company one day. But I mean, I think that's kind of to get to that mentality. If, if your if your business requires you to be in it, then really at the end of the day, like you don't, you don't, you don't really have that. Like it's an asset, but like if, if you can remove yourself from it, uh, it makes, you got to think of like that. You, you need to be able to create an exit strategy for yourself. Right. Um, and if you can replace yourself and all the elements of your business, uh, so you're, you're detaching yourself from it, even though you want to be in it. Right. I'm not saying you go sit on a fucking beach. I'm saying yeah, like oh, you don't make yourself yeah. <laughs> a hinge, like a, you don't make yourself like a, a linchpin. Like the, the business doesn't, doesn't necessarily need you. Now you have a, a greater asset because you can, it's, it's turnkey. You can hand it off to somebody else. If you ever, for whatever reason, your values change, your vision change, you get sick of it. You can walk away from it. You can sell it, right? It's you're creating an exit strategy for yourself. So you, you need to be able to remove yourself as much as possible. But I'm not saying don't be in your businesses. I'm just saying don't make it dependent on you. Uh, exactly. Kind of mentality. Yeah. Awesome um, stuff, man. So COVID-19, um, Real quick, I don't want you to get into the details of how you reacted and how you responded and what things you chose to do because I don't think it, I think it's, the ship has kind of sailed on that idea of like what you can do right now to be relevant because we're starting to sure. slowly climb out of it. But what did you do? How did you react in that moment? Like one minute, real quick. Uh, so we pivoted really quickly. We had about 400 people walk through our door one day after we closed the dining room and we were just to go. 
on our staff was legitimately scared. They were like, hey, you know, too many people are coming in and out. So we had to make the tough decision to close the building completely, not let any customers into our building at all. And so I had an idea I got from a friend and we turned our doors, our front doors into a takeout window. I called the contractor. He said, wait, what do you want to do? You want to take your door out and make it a takeout window? He's like, sure, I'll be there in an hour. Next day, literally replaced our front doors at our restaurants and created this temporary takeout window, you know, painted it black. It looks great. We set up canopies. We put up huge signs that say takeout window with arrows. We put lights up, cones. We have buckets that like have people distancing six uh, feet apart. Um, Cause you know, a little bit of the story brand, if you confuse, you lose. So I was terrified that people were going to walk up to our restaurant. They were going to be like, are these guys open? Are they closed? What's going on here? Uh, I wanted to take out all that confusion. So when you pull in the parking lot, you see our takeout window signs everywhere. You see the canopy. I mean, it's almost like this huge uh, overview of, hey, we are open and we have this takeout window. And now uh, it's been huge. And since the pandemic, since that pivot, um, we have um, we've had three record days so far um, inside that, which has been incredible. Since wait, all time or since the pandemic started? Uh, we had a record days since we've opened our company. So at each location, so uh, at all, one of our locations is closed right now in, in the loop. But the three locations that are open, um, they are literally, uh, we had a record day at each one so far in this pandemic. And I mean, I feel like I mean, maybe there's something we can take from this. What, what do you think it was that made you have record days? Is it just because most of your business, the start was takeout or pickup? Or like, what, what was it that you think made you have these record days? Was, were you, was it because you're getting out there? You were also delivering food to hospitals. Was it the, the hype around all that? That was maybe driving traffic to your restaurant? No, I think it went, went into it being easy. So like I had went to a Chipotle and they weren't letting people into the building either. And I didn't know that. So when I pulled up, I, you know, first I'm like, doors locked. I'm like, are they in there? I'm like looking in the window and then I saw that they were in there and a girl comes out and she's like, Oh, you have to order online. I was like, Oh, okay. So I got back in my car. I had to order online. Then I got back out of the car. You know, there was a huge pile of people waiting. She was like slamming the door in their face as they were like, as they were like, Oh, order for Brian. And then she'd like hand Brian his order and then slam the door again. And it was just a horrible experience for me personally. I just thought with us, we need to eliminate any bad experience with this, this, this new pivot, you know, so, when people so how do come you up, eliminate those bad experiences in the current workforce? How are you doing that? Do you, I think you were just about to explain it to explain it. Sorry. Yeah. So no, no. So essentially, you know, every guest that walks up to the window, somebody's there immediately to address them. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. You got everything to our takeout window. You can either, you know, are you here for a pickup? Are you here for a phone order? Or, um, you know, do you need to put in an order right now? And they have handheld so they can put in the order immediately you know, it just, I you're think the idea toast, that right? mating, I'm sorry, what? You're, and you're using toast, right? Yeah. We're using toast. Yep. Okay. Uh, toast and the toast handheld for the toast go. I forget what they call them, but it's basically okay. handheld and they're, they're amazing. Um, but essentially everyone who walks up to our door, they're greeted right away. You know, they are handed a menu or they're given their order. Um, or if they don't feel comfortable, Hey, well, let me take your order real quick. How about you go sit in your car and then I'll come bring it to you. I think that we made it very easily easy and we took all the confusion out of it has helped people come back, you know, cause to me, I haven't been back to Chipotle since I went through that bad experience and I probably won't go until this thing's over with. 
but like we took all that out. So I think our success is, you know, based on the fact that people can come in. It's easy. It's quick. They can get their great, great meal and, and food very easily without any trouble, you know, and I think that's helped them come back and come back again. Um, and another part of that is a lot of restaurants are closed right now. So where normally we'd have a Increase ton of competition, yeah. Yeah. we have less competition. So that's been a factor and why we've had record days. And also we're kind of this in between in the fast casual category, where we're not, we're not the Saturday night, like, uh, you know, birthday dinner that you're going to have, you know, where you dress up fancy for, but we're also not McDonald's. So, you know, price point and quality point, we're right in the middle, you know, where we're, you can get us on a Tuesday, you can't have it on a Saturday night. You know, it's a great quality meal, but it's not, you know, it's not fast food, but it's not fine dining either. So I think that's really helped in this, uh, this whole thing. So are you, uh, utilizing any third parties right now for like delivery or do you, do you think third parties are, have been valuable during this time? Cause I know last time you were on the show, you were all about Uber eats. Uber eats was a great resource of marketing. You're like, you're, you're like singing the praise. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and we, we use the delivery partners. We use uh, Uber eats and DoorDash. Um, DoorDash has gotten a lot better with their drivers um, in the past, I would say six months. Um, so yeah, the delivery partners are great. I mean, literally like, you know, it's quick, it's convenient. People can get it to their door. Um, the problem with the delivery partners, and I think everyone's starting to bring the light is it's too expensive for the restaurant and it's too expensive for the consumer too. But you were justifying it before that, like you're getting all this free press, you're getting all this exposure that you wouldn't otherwise get. Do you think that's still the case? Is that still an accurate statement? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we probably sell our delivery partners right now. It's over 10% of our business, um, you know, maybe even closer to 15 to 20%. Um, it's, it's a lot right now. And, and the marketing part is great. You know, people, especially in the city, like we reach a huge amount of people in the city um, where our location is, but we're in a neighborhood of the city, but we reach all these other neighborhoods. And so they're like sit at home and they're like, ah, what to eat, you know? And they come across us, they may have never heard of us before. And now they're like, oh, let's give this place a shot. And they might Google it and look it up. So I think like you get exposure through to a lot more people. Um, but, uh, you know, I think like we're going to pay delivery partners over $300,000 this year. Jesus. That's, that's dude. an insane amount of money, right? So that's that is so many salaries. <laughs> I know. No, I know. No, I know. And I was thinking about, man, do we like, do we, um, you know, do an in-house delivery, you know, where we take away Uber Eats and DoorDash and we just do it ourselves, you know, would it be worth the $300,000 to do that? You know, I don't know. I just know it's not going away. And I think if anything, especially post pandemic, like this is the delivery thing is not going away. A lot more people I think are scared and they're going to be staying home still, even after they lift the stay at home bans. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be, a big part of the restaurant business going forward. Yeah. Um, there are different ways though, like toast, our POS company is now offering, they partnered with DoorDash and, um, they're about to offer a, um, a solution through the toast app. Uh, basically just like when you're ordering online, you can pick delivery or, uh, or it's an integration pickup. with a delivery service basically. Yeah, it's it's almost the same thing, but it's on the back end. It's run through DoorDash. It looks like it's run through us internally, 
Um, but what's great about that is uh, the, it's going to be about half the cost. Okay. So interesting. Well, we're going to spend three hundred thousand. We may yeah. spend one hundred fifty thousand, and, and that's I, I a big difference. Yeah. Speaking of like rituals and repeating things though, I, I, I got to look at my audience as my, my, uh, my culture, my community, my, my employees in the sense, right. Cause they're the people that are closest to restaurant unstoppable. I have to say that toast has a great referral program. If you guys have been being pounded over the head with toast as a great resource, please reach out to me, Eric at restaurant and let me introduce you to toast. If you're considering that as a platform, because they, Every referral, all I got to do is connect the two of you guys. They'll pay me $500 and that really That's supports great. the show. And side note, finding sponsors. It's a little hard right now because everyone's getting <laughs> super conservative. So that's a great way to support the show. Just a little, a little plug in there. Uh, and thank you in advance for using my, my links and reaching out to me. That that's so, so helpful. Um, so Joe, I don't want to, I mean, we've been on the call for now almost an, an hour and 45 minutes. You probably got things you got to do. I don't want to abuse your time. Um, any last thoughts about like COVID, what you're doing for the future? You kind of already, you know, made your predictions about what the future is going to look like. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a slow pendulum swing out of this. Um, any last thoughts before we bust out a quick speed round? You know, I think that I just think that it's going to go on for the next 12 to 18 months. I would say, you know, until there's like a strong vaccine for this um, virus. So I think restaurants should be prepared to, you know, um, the storm is going to, it's going to be around for a while for us. Awesome. All right. One more quick break. We'll be right back to uh, bust out a true speed round. We'll make it as fast as possible for you, Joe. Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time get one month of free pos software three months of free digital ordering tools and 50 percent off implementation to ease the impact of covid19 this is a value of one thousand dollars one more time that's toasttab dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars all right we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success and as we go through these questions i'm going to see if your answers line up with your your first time on the show (laughs) no pressure honestly i think my it factor is persistence just nailed it. Yep. Nonstop persistent. Unstoppable Joe Fontana. Yeah. <laughs> and that right. was your answer. First time around. What is your biggest weakness? Probably uh, procrastination. Yeah. And before you said getting stuck into little tasks and taking too long, um, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? I ask, about their parents 
tell me who your what does your mom do? What does your dad do? What kind of things are they interested in? I think the look- apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So I always yeah. like to ask about their parents. And the last time you were on the show, you said uh, you're always looking, you're asking to see what they like to eat. Uh, and you're looking oh, okay. to see if they can get excited about something, especially around food. Uh, <laughs> totally. uh, what's your biggest challenge today? Our biggest challenge today, I would say, is back to the culture and just keeping the culture molded to how we want it by not all being in the same building, you know, by having everybody in four different locations. I know we kind of touched on that, but that's definitely our biggest challenge right now. Your biggest challenge uh, two and a half years ago was creating the culture that you envisioned. So there's a consistency (laughs) there, which is good to hear. Yeah. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be a way to act a, a core value. A core value. Well, one thing lately, semi a core value, but if, if you can't talk where you work, you can't talk. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, basically like I love, you know, while you're on the line and you're working and you're chatting it up and you're having fun and you know, you can have a really good dialogue and be telling jokes and whatnot. Um, but you have to be busting your ass while you do that. So you have tickets coming in. So I think, that part is great if you can pull it off. But there's some people that, you know, as soon as they start talking, they stop doing what they're doing and they're just sitting there talking. It's like, Hey, you got to keep making those, you know, yeah. you know keep, you know, there's selling the ticket. Yeah. There's this, uh, saying in the aviation world, the, the pilot world, commercial aviation world, uh, c- called the sterile cockpit. And it's basically below, um, a certain altitude, 10,000 feet, I think, when you're a commercial pilot below 10,000 feet, it's a sterile cockpit, meaning anything that's said has to be relative to the flight and execution of the flight. And when above 10,000 feet, things start to slow down. It starts getting a much more casual, so you can have casual conversation. But that practice, you can create your own limitations, right? You're like for aviation, it's below 10,000 feet. For the restaurant industry, you have more than three people in line. You know, like make your own thing uh, yeah, where you absolutely. like and you, and you call a sterile cockpit where people just focus on the task at, at hand. And that's a cool little thing you can implement in your business that um, some places that I've worked after I shared that it was beneficial for them. So yeah, I like that. Um, number six. The next question is, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? And uh, before you answer that, your last question on the core values was uh, the last time we were on the show was always uh greet people with a big smile. Sorry. I meant to mention that. Oh before. yeah. So what is one uncommon standard of service? Something that's common within the four walls of your business, but not common within the industry. Always say goodbye to people. I think it's so important. Like greeting people is also equally important, but I think it's huge to say goodbye to someone before they leave, especially if they sat there and ate, um, you know, and I've even ran back to the POS machine and looked up, you know, what their ticket was and, Oh, the name's Jim. Hey, Jim, have a great day. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for supporting us. I just think that, you know, and I always compare this with our team to, you know, if you went to a family party and you left and no one said goodbye to you, like you would be like, Oh my God, are they mad at me? Like I do something, you know, you would feel awkward. And I feel like that's the same thing. You know, I think it's so important to say goodbye to people when they leave to let them know that, you know, they weren't just another order another dollar that we brought in it was you know we really care about them and care about their experience and it wasn't you know just a wash like hey jim great to see you thank you for supporting us 
Yeah, that was your your same answer for last time, by the way. So really, next question, oh. yeah, you're consistent, <laughs> dude. I love consistency. What is one book that you think is a must read to be a better person or a restaurant owner? And we've mentioned a bunch of books today. Ooh, I think start with why. Probably yep. Simon Sinek. Start with why on audio, and uh, you, we also mentioned today's book or uh, in today's conversation, uh, the E Myth. We mentioned um, it's my company too. We mentioned what else? We mentioned um, Clockwork. Uh, we mentioned profit first, so we will be sure to link to all those books in the show notes. And I'm pretty sure all of those books are on audio. So head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you guys do not listen to audiobooks, I'm telling you, it will change your life. If you are one of those people that say, I never have time to listen to books. Well, guess what? You can make your car into a university. You can be listening to books during the morning, you know, checklists like, it's so powerful. Do you listen to audiobooks? I know you do, but why do oh, you love yeah. audiobooks, Joe? I just love to always be learning and I think it's great like when like you said when you're in the car, when you're exercising, uh when you're cleaning the house, anytime you have free time when you're just sitting there by yourself, you can be educating yourself yeah, and so bringing yourself to the next level. It is a game changer. So and head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you use that link, you will get your first book on me. And again, you're supporting the show. That's $15 going to support this mission to inspire and empower and transform the industry. Sorry. Um, I always tell our dishwashers too. I had, you know, they always have headphones in and I go, Hey, what are you listening to? I'm listening to music. I'm like, why are you listening to music? I'm like, why don't you, you ever do audio books? Like you should be educating yourself right now. Yeah. You're crushing <laughs> dishes. You're at work. You could be literally getting an education while you're at the dish pit. Yeah, I love it, dude. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? I think that restaurant tours make it too complicated, and they do that a lot. So I feel like they need to step back and try to simplify their system, simplify their menu, simplify their customer experience. Um, you know, they just make it too complicated. What is one service you've outsourced to? So this is a person, uh, somebody that you've gone to for their expertise to make your business better. Share that with us. Absolutely. Uh, Carrie Luxum.com. Uh, Carrie Luxum, past guest on the show. She has a company called HR restaurant group and they offer this service. It is literally incredible. I think it's $40 a month or something. Um, but basically you have an HR person that you can email any questions, literally any questions that come up. And there's always HR questions that arise uh, for $40 a month. You have an HR expert and a team of experts that will respond to you and give you guidance for any situation that you may be in. If you're questioning a rule or a law or how do we handle this situation? How do we fire this person? How do you do anything? Uh, this carryluxum.com has been a lifesaver for us. Yeah. And uh, why don't you give your, um, uh, your publicist a shout out right now too? Cause we mentioned her a lot earlier and I want to make oh, sure yeah. she has some love. <laughs> Our publicist, Rebecca Cusman and her firm is called Betty bomb PR and, uh, she's growing and, uh, literally she is, uh, she's amazing. So if you need a good PR rep, reach out to Rebecca. 
you know, we'll have, we'll be, we'll be sure to link to those and the books mentioned uh, in the show notes. This is going to be episode 714, I believe. I'm sorry, 715. Uh, so restaurant slash 715. And what is one technology you've recently adopted? That's had a huge impact on your operations. The last time you mentioned Uber eats and toast. What, what now what's new now? Ooh, I would say jolt. If you're not using Jolt inside your restaurant, you need to wise up and get on to Jolt. It's uh, basically a task list for everybody in the restaurant, every position. Um, we have everybody using Jolt every single day, and they basically know what they need to do. Opening checklist, uh, closing checklist, uh, mid-shift checklist. Um, literally every one of our crew members has their Jolt list that they have to complete for every shift. And it has to be signed off by a manager, and uh, it's a godsend. But I, I mean, I could put a checklist on a piece of paper. Why would I need to put this on a tablet? What's what? What? Why even waste our time with that? I thought I thought you were all about keeping it simple, Joe. <laughs> well, this is simple, and it literally it's on their phone, so no piece of paper is floating around. And literally, they can pull up their jolt list. They can check off stuff. We get uh, data in real time. So, say somebody pulls up their checklist, and they're just like, click, 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 click and they clicked on all their checklists, like we know it's impossible to finish every all your tasks in one minute. So there's timestamps. Um, can, you can make them take pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, we have even barcodes, little codes that they have to scan when they completed, like cleaning the bathroom, for example. Um, so, uh, man, it's just such a great tool. I recommend yeah, and you it to can, everybody. You can build in parameters where they can't move on to the next check unless they've sent the picture to confirm. So example, cleaning up your closing checklist, right? Is is everything in place? You take a, a picture of a station and everything's in the spot it's supposed to be. And you can't move on to the next thing until that photo has been taken. That is proof that you've done the thing you're supposed to do. Um, Correct. And then you could also set it up where um, like how oh, I had the thought. So like, <laughs> well, were you talking about like training videos? Like, Hey, how do I, I think about that, know, do yeah. the station right away? You can have like, you can watch yeah. a training video, like right in there. Like, Oh, here's how you set up the station and then boom. Okay. So take a picture of it. Now it's done. And it's like learning checklist all in one plot. I love it, dude. Great stuff. So uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Let's ask it again. Let's see if your, your uh, answers still line up. And if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world t- tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three t- pieces of wisdom be? All right. So I think last time I was prepared for this question, <laughs> this time I'm not. Um, I think... Uh, God is number one. So always put God in your life. Um, I would say that would be, you know, first and foremost, uh, I would say number two would be to surround yourself with great people. Um, you know, you're an example of who you surround yourself with. So always be watching out to weed out bad people out of your life and surrounding yourself with great people. And then I would say number three is just, to always have goals and dreams and things that you can work towards and hope for. And, um, you know, progress is really where happiness lies. So I think, you know, when you have a goal, when you have a dream that you're trying to work towards and you are achieving that and you're climbing your mountain 
and you're having progress along the way, I think that's where you'll truly be happy. Dude, and are you sure you didn't look at your answers from the last time you were on the show? I did. I did not. I did not. Why did your I nail last it? Time, yeah, your, your answers last time, uh, number one, was God, family, and friends come first. Number two was surround yourself with great people. And number three was follow your dreams. Just go for it. So what? you're a man of consistency. <laughs> I love it. Uh, great stuff today, Joe. And we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who's somebody uh, since the last time we had you on the show that has really impressed you, that you respected and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us again on the show? call them out okay this is a past guest that you had a long time ago um i don't know him at all but i know of him his name is kevin boheem i think is how you pronounce yep. his last name kevin boheem of the Boehm. Boca group kevin Bohm or bomb Boehm. i should probably okay. know that kevin bomb yeah i don't know him at all he's a restaurateur in chicago here i think they have 30 restaurants now um i believe they won he won him and his partner won restaurant of the year um last year i think uh but anyways i remember your original interview i didn't know anything about this guy and i was blown away at his answers and this must have been five years ago maybe probably uh, so yeah. i'd ago. love to get him back on the yeah. show i am i am trying to go deeper and i think that this this interview today is a testament to what happens when you choose to not put your energy out into forming new relationships but putting your energy into to developing and going deeper into the relationships you have because this this interview was packed with great advice dude and you're doing some great stuff i've always admired you and it's always an, a, a pleasure to make an example of you you are the you know um like the a shining example of what we should aspire to be uh, in the industry. And it's always just such a pleasure to make an example of, of you, man. I, I, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to call you a friend. It really is. So uh, how can we connect? If we want to come join your team, if you made an impression on us today, you're expanding, you got two restaurants opening in the next couple months, hopefully with everything that's going on, we'll see what happens there. But uh, uh, how can we connect? If we want to be a part of what you got going on. So you can find us at fry You can find us at fry almost everywhere. And uh, if you want to join our team, you can email admin at frythecoop.com. And, uh, man, it's been a blast. I've, uh, a lot of my success is due to the mentorship I've had at Restaurant Unstoppable. So thank, thank you. you. And, it's a uh, pleasure. It's been awesome. Thank you, Brandon. All right, stay unstoppable, dude. Well, actually, I should say there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> I love you, Joe. Take care. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. My good friend, Joe Fontana, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Always an honor to make an example of what you're doing, but more importantly, making an example of who you are. I just can't do it enough. You're a great person, man. Uh, So great stuff came from today's conversation. The big ones for me, using language and rituals to deepen the grooves of your culture. It's not enough just to say, this is who we are. You got to live it. And you do that by creating rituals, putting them on the calendar, whatever it is, or just making things happen every day, habits every day in your business and really leaning into those grooves and creating those deep, deep grooves. So you're not just saying who you are, you're, you're, you're living them and you're, 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 you have your own language and you are a culture, uh, great stuff. And I also love this idea of, uh, look, we don't hire skills. We hire people 
right? Uh, and sometimes you hire people and their skills aren't right for the job you hired them for. But if they're a right culture fit, which they should be if you hired them in the first place because you're being super restrictive on that, right? If, you, if they have the right fit for your organization, the right values, the right culture, what are they good at? Find a way to leverage their skills uh, and make room for your people. I love that mentality. And also, we have to mention uh, today's topic or the, today's uh, title is all about gossip and how gossip can crush your business. And then, like we talked about earlier, like you got to create rituals to, to to identify these things, to to squash these things, and to empower your people to keep your culture on track. Great stuff came from today's conversation. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Joe. So before we say goodbye, I want to let you guys know that um, again, first. CPA sponsor, cost per acquisition sponsor, Toast. And Toast is being super generous with us. They're going to cut us a check for $2,500 to get you guys to use our link to sign up for Toast, the most recommended POS on the show. And I wouldn't do this with any company, but Toast is so overwhelmingly recommended organically that I feel confident enough in doing this. And uh, because we know you guys need it, because we believe in creating win-win situations, uh, we're going to cut you a check. Uh, After taxes, we're going to earn about $2,000. We're going to cut you a check for $1,000 to say thank you for supporting Restaurant Stoppable by, by, by clicking our link. And not to mention... You're getting another thousand to eight hundred dollars from Toast worth of incentives. The one month of POS service, three months of delivery, and fifty percent off implementation. How hard is this decision? Please use your link and thank you so much in advance and spread the word. If you know of anybody, spread the word, share the love. Uh, and then lastly, please join our mastermind. If you want to surround yourself with other unstoppable restaurant owners and operators like you, this is the mastermind group. So yeah do it. All right. Until next time, peace out.